Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, providing access to cancer physicians and the full spectrum of cancer care services close to home. The presidential election campaign dominated the news nationally and here in Pennsylvania from the beginning of the year until November. And the candidacy of Republican Donald Trump got more coverage than any other topic. Trump's win over Democrat Hillary Clinton is considered one of the biggest upsets in the nation's history. Trump winning Pennsylvania was maybe even a bigger surprise since all the polls had Clinton leading. Both candidates campaigned often in Pennsylvania since it was one of the important swing states. This first segment is taken from a smart talk produced a few days after both Trump and Clinton had appeared in the mid-state. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The Harrisburg area has been ground zero for the two major presidential candidates over the past four days. Fresh off accepting her nomination at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia Thursday night, Hillary Clinton campaigned at the Broad Street Market in Midtown Harrisburg Friday night. Republican Donald Trump appeared last night at Cumberland Valley High School. Both candidates stopping here seems to say they both find Pennsylvania to be a key in their election hopes this November. WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Katie Meyer covered both campaign stops, and she joins us today. Katie, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. If you have a question, maybe even a comment about the presidential candidates, give us a call. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, Katie, kind of the, the broad question, your impressions and observations about the two campaign stops overall? Sure. So I think, I mean, as we've seen throughout this election, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have very different visions for what America is, where we are right now, and what we need, um, and how they're going to fix everything, essentially. So uh, from Donald Trump, we've gotten what we've gotten from lots of his rhetoric throughout this process, which was sort of a negative view. You know, he is talking a lot about the loss of manufacturing in Pennsylvania. Um, He's saying he's going to renegotiate or leave NAFTA. Um, And that's been a a big... uh, it's sort of a linchpin in uh, what he's been saying in Pennsylvania. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, you know, she's doing some of the same jobs, outreach. She's pushing economic growth, but she's got a much more positive spin on everything than Donald Trump. All right. So we're going to talk about some specifics. Speaking of uh, Donald Trump and manufacturing, here's one of the things he had to say last night. Destruction of manufacturing in Pennsylvania was caused by Hillary Clinton's policies, which are the policies. Remember this, her husband signed NAFTA, which was the single worst trade deal ever in the history of this country, really in the history of the world. That seemed to be a theme last night. I think it was definitely a theme, yeah. Um, And I think it goes back to the group of voters that uh, Trump's trying to appeal to. You know, I think he's got... He's got a strong working class, largely white voter base. um, And that's really that's who's largely going to come out to vote for him in the state. And that's also who's been affected by, you know, the loss of manufacturing in Pennsylvania the last couple of decades. Um, And that's something that he's been really he's been pushing that to try to appeal to these voters and sort of to say, like, I have a specific solution to uh, your your woes. All right. Did he talk about those specifics, though? Because that's been one of the criticisms of Donald Trump is that he talks in broad terms. Uh, Now, if you go to websites and you compare candidates, there are a few more specifics. But at the rally, did he talk about any specifics? Um, I mean, uh, it's interesting. Uh, Donald Trump rallies, he really he skips around a little bit. uh, But what he's been very good at, I think, is sort of. And I read this somewhere today. He picks something that sort of stands for a lot. So in this case, it's NAFTA. Um, Is NAFTA the cause of all of the manufacturing problems and the loss of manufacturing in Pennsylvania? No. But uh, in this case, it sort of it stands in for a lot of things. So when Donald Trump says, I'm going to 
renegotiate NAFTA, it means we're just going to bring back a lot of jobs. You know, I, I read a report the other day. It was talking about, well, an article, it was a media report the other day uh, about NAFTA. You know, what people have to remember, North American trade uh, agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically we're talking about trade with Mexico and Canada. Um I don't know whether a lot of, and I kind of doubt it, uh, you don't hear very often about a lot of manufacturing jobs that went to Canada. (laughs) Not so many. No. Mexico, now that was a different story. But as this report pointed out, um, Mexico is not that big. Mexico does not have that large of a population. Were there American manufacturers who went to Mexico? Oh, yeah, there were. And uh, so there probably were the loss of jobs. But as this report pointed out, what came later with agreements with China, where manufacturing has really taken off, uh, actually impacted American jobs more than what NAFTA did. But as you heard with, uh, and you were there, so you know, but you heard the boos when he brought up NAFTA, uh, there are a lot of people who work in manufacturing, American manufacturing, who blame that trade agreement for the loss of jobs if some of their jobs went, went to Mexico. So, But these are things to, for, for people to think about. All right, he also touched on another area of uh, industry that has been big here in Pennsylvania. By the way, I'm going to protect your mines and your miners, okay, because your miners have been treated horribly. All right, so he talked about uh, coal miners, which he may be the first presidential candidate to talk about uh, coal mining in Pennsylvania in a long, long time. Yeah, uh, he's sort of doing a throwback thing. He's talking about miners a lot. He's talking about steel, which hasn't really been a big industry in Pennsylvania for decades. Um, And it's interesting. He got big cheers when he talked about miners, and I think that's all back to this sort of this blue-collar appeal. I mean, I don't think there are very many miners in the audience, yet it really, I mean, people respond to it. Mm-hmm. You know, union workers in Pennsylvania typically have been supportive of uh, Democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard some reports that there are blue-collar people who uh, have been union workers their entire lives, uh, maybe in some of the blue-collar industries, who this year may support Trump. Yeah. Did you get any sense of that last night? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I talked to a lot of people, you know, before and after the rallies, and that's one of the things that I've been asking, you know, I mean, who did you support in the 90s? Have you always voted Republican? And I, honestly, more often than not, I hear that they voted for Bill Clinton. Um, and some people are still registered Democrats, and they're out there ardently supporting Donald Trump. And so it's interesting. I think... You know, it's less of a party affiliation for a lot of these folks, and it's really more of a something about Donald Trump is speaking to them, and they believe that he can bring back manufacturing and steel and protect miners. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about this morning as I heard your reports on the on the on the air. Um, Trump, whether you like him or dislike him, there seems to be no in between ground. Uh, whether you like him or dislike him, and I say you, meaning the American people out there, um, he's a phenomenon. He He really is. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this in maybe ever. (laughs) I mean, you you hear the political analysts say that, that, uh, that, that, you know, we have never seen a campaign like this. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they're talking about Donald Trump. Well, you know, Donald Trump says that himself in (laughs) his rally. He did. He he says that every time, I think. Um, He's proud of himself. But, you know, I think it's interesting. And I think it's also, I mean, he would never have gotten as far as he did if something very unusual wasn't happening. And he's going to need something unusual if he's going to win Pennsylvania. Because, I mean, the state hasn't gone to a Republican since 1988. Um, And so then that was George H.W. Bush. Right, the last one, yeah. And so it's been a very blue state. Yet, people are saying it really might be in play this year. And that is down to Donald Trump. And the huge numbers he's of working class people, you know, white people who are coming out to vote for him. Were there any uh, people of color in the crowd? Um, you know, you could count them on one hand. Really? Yeah, I, there were. It was a very, very homogenous crowd. African American, uh, Latino. Oh gosh, um, I. Probably saw a couple of African-American people. Not even sure if I saw any Latino folks. Mm. 
so talk about the crowd, if you would. Sure. Uh, I, I saw an estimate of uh, there were 3,500 there, and I also heard that uh, Trump made his own estimates of how many people had to be turned away. Yeah, Trump makes some... I don't know how you can back up Donald Trump's estimates and how he would know, but I will say there were a lot of people there. And having been to a Hillary Clinton rally and a Donald Trump rally in a short span of time, I can say that Donald Trump supporters are much more active. There's a lot more cheering. And it was just a very energetic, large crowd. Yeah, Trump uh, said uh, that 5,000 people were turned away. Yeah, now, I, again, may not have been that many, but... we I did hear last night that there were a lot of people who were people. being turned away and uh, showed up early. You said there was a lot of cheering. Talk about the, the, the reaction of the crowd, because that has gotten a lot of attention this year, too. The actions of the crowd, the reactions of the crowd, the violence sometimes, the protests, all those things last night? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I've not a lot of protests. One protester was sort of manhandled out the door, um, but that was the only real incident that I saw. What strikes me when I'm watching these things, because it's one thing when you see them on TV, but right. when you're there in person, it's very different. Um is just the response he gets when he says, you know, his catchphrases almost, you know, uh, when he gets into the fact that he's going to build a wall, he does like a call and response thing and he goes, who's going to pay for it? And everybody yells Mexico. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I, you don't see stuff like that very often. It's really, he engages people very well. He's tapped into something. How about the controversy with the Khan family? That's dominated the, the headlines the last few days. His criticism of Mrs. Khan after uh, the Democratic National Convention said that uh, maybe her religion, uh, in so many words, he said this, wouldn't allow her to speak. Uh, and she responded that uh, she was grieving with seeing the picture of her, her son. Did that come up, up at all? It didn't, no. Um, granted, there, I mean, people at Donald Trump rallies are very, very sympathetic to army families and they're very sympathetic to anyone really in uniform who serves the people so i think this is sort of an interesting one-off maybe from the donald trump campaign but i don't think it's going to affect very many opinions among his ardent supporters they've made up their minds as you said you talked to a lot of people beforehand i don't know if you had a chance to talk to them afterwards because you were up till four o'clock in the morning uh, <laughs> I was up a little bit late with, yes uh, your stories but what uh, what did you hear from the supporters ahead Time. Well, it's just, uh, let's see, lots of people, you know, they come with these specific ideas in mind, things that they want to hear Donald Trump say, and he doesn't disappoint. So um, I think, you know, I asked people, this is usually my intro question, like, so why are you here today? Why are you supporting Donald Trump? Why do you like him? And people trust him. Uh, you know, people really do think that he is, you know, a straight talker, straight shooter, good businessman. Those are the things that you hear over and over again. And that's what's driving people. Mm. We're going to talk about uh, the Hillary Clinton yeah. uh, rally uh, coming up in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Women's Cancer Center, delivering preventive, diagnostic, surgical, medical, and chemotherapy services to women with gynecologic cancer or other conditions related to the reproductive systems. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org WCC. Pennsylvanians were surprised the day after the election when Trump had defeated Clinton in the Keystone State on his way to victory. Franklin and Marshall College political analyst and pollster Dr. G. Terry Madonna appeared on Smart Talk for a special live program. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. In what has to be considered a stunning upset, Donald J. Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. After a grueling, unprecedented campaign, Trump overcame the political establishment and polls that said he would lose and won the election with more electoral votes. Clinton appears to be leading in the popular vote. 
The vote for president was the main attraction, but Pennsylvania voters re-elected Pat Toomey as their U.S. Senator and Democrat Josh Shapiro as the high-profile Attorney General. We have a special day after Election Day uh, Smart Talk program. We're producing the show in the atrium of WITF's Public Media Center in front of a live audience. I want to welcome our audience to the program today, those who are here live and those who are at home or in the car listening as well. Joining us on the program is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College poll. And uh, Dr. Madonna, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. We have had this planned for a long time now, but uh, I don't think I'm going out on the limb by saying that uh, what we're talking about today is not exactly what uh, w was planned. If you go by uh, the polls, by the procrastination, procrastination. Yeah, I'll get the word. We did pro uh, whatever we did procrastinate. We did yeah. procrastinate a good bit. Yeah, there we go. If we can get the word out. Um, so I'll start with the polls aside. Let's talk about the electorate. Yeah. What happened? Well, basically, here's what happened. Secretary Clinton, their campaign was concerned all along about the African-American vote, the minority vote in general, and the millennials. They were down from what Obama did. So the enthusiasm that was speculated about proved to be accurate. That's why the Clinton campaign spent so much time in the battleground states and in Pennsylvania, in minority communities and in, on college campuses. Now let's flip it a bit. 40% of the Americans are white working class voters, white working class. Donald Trump doubled the number of white working class voters that Romney got four years ago. And if you look at our state and you go around to counties where out in the Southwest, up in the Northeast, what you find is a huge turnout there among white working class voters, high school educations or less. And, and let's come to grips with something. I want to interject one thing. This was also about class. This was class. This was the working class against the establishment and against those who, had, who are running our country and the Republican Party as well. Well, you just brought something up that uh, I, I want to kind of define, if you will. You know, who is the establishment? Because, you know, I've heard, okay, the Republican Party, the government, uh, the government, us, the media, the media. You uh, got posters, it. you know, that we all are establishment. Yeah. So you're saying that a majority of Americans said, or at least, I guess if you go by the popular vote, no, but uh, if you go by a the states that won, a, a large percentage of it. voters decided right. we don't like that anymore. That's right. And, and what's amazing in the exit polls, 60 percent of the people overall said that Trump's not qualified to be president. Yet they were willing to go beyond that because of this angst and anger and frustration. Look, we, we have... If we take a look at Americans as a whole, we have two very serious problems. One is, one is in, in urban America, in minority communities where we're talking about jobs and education, and that has to change. But we also have a serious problem with the white working class. In, in the old industrial Rust Belt, and who talked about the Rust Belt all throughout the campaign? And we've got two groups of Americans that aren't prospering, that aren't doing any... We have focused on one to some extent, but not nearly enough, African Americans, Hispanics in particular. But we also, the, the new president in the Congress has to deal with both. I'm not, you know, with the white working class, what are we going to do about trade uh, skills? What are we going to do about <clears throat> improving our education levels? There's a whole lot of things that need to be done. And I'm not just saying government should do it, but unless the lives of those two groups improve materially, we're going to continue to be torn apart. When you say torn apart, uh, going into this election, we've heard many times, in fact, we've addressed it on our program many times, about a, a divided electorate, America being divided, right. uh, not just along Republican, Democratic lines, but uh, when it comes to issues, uh, just how they see the world. And I'm wondering today, because Trump has been a divisive candidate, and just using that statistic that you mentioned, 60% said that he is not qualified to be president. I, I wonder whether the divide is even bigger today. 
I mean, if I could go yeah. by what I yeah. see on social media today, yeah. I mean, there are people out there who, you know, seriously are talking about leaving the country. You know, Some celebrities <laughs> already well, yeah, are yeah, on record. Yeah. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, there are people who are just devastated and mm. think that the end of the republic is near. Yeah. I mean, one possibility is that Trump was doing reality TV and that he really doesn't mean everything that he said. I was joking in a speech I, I, I gave, and I used to say, at one point, he had 50 positions on the same issue. I was exaggerating an obvious point, but I don't know that he's going to be the Donald Trump we saw during the campaign. But how do you know that? We, we don't. That's and how do voters point. know that? They don't. They don't. And that's something that we're going to have. I mean, here's what's also. So Donald Trump wins as we sit here today, I think the number is up to 388 electoral votes, and we don't have Michigan in. So he's gotten more electoral votes than George Bush did in 2000 and 2004. So he's got more electoral votes. He's likely to lose the popular vote. And twice in this century, twice in this century, we've had that happen. Now think about that for a minute. And so he's not the popular vote winner, he's the electoral vote winner, and what does that mean? In addition, the Republicans still control the Senate, 51. They, most of the odds makers said they were going to lose the Senate. And the House, the Republicans did very well in the House as well. In our state, they picked up three seats in the state Senate, three. They now have what they call a veto-proof Senate. And they picked up seats in the House of Representatives. Imagine if you're Tom Wolf this morning, you're Governor Wolf, and you have to deal. And by the way, the legislature and Congress is more conservative this morning than it was, well, you know, when they take office than it was yesterday as a result of this election. No one saw it coming. And no. we, we're taking questions from our audience. Yeah. And also, if uh, someone would like to call in or send an email, they can do that, and uh, we'll answer those questions as well. 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. And here's one of the questions that uh, many people have been wondering. I'm sure this has crossed your mind a few times. How did the polling miss the Trump surge? <clears throat> yeah. Well, it missed the surge because we underrepresented. Most of the polls got the Clinton numbers right, the percentage. They didn't get the Trump numbers right because everybody who was not accurate, not 99 percent, just simply missed this huge increase in the white, in the white working class uh, voters in particular. And in some respects, if you go and you look around the country, there were 700 counties in pivotal states that were won by Obama four years ago. You know who won them this year? 700 counties. Donald Trump. That's exactly right. Donald Trump. So when you begin to look at the breakdown, you see what happened. Uh, it was the Clinton, it was the Democratic Party's failure to get their own core voters out, and the Trump campaign virtually doubled, as I indicated before, the white working class. In fact, here's a surprise. White, college-educated men voted for Donald Trump. College-educated men. We had the biggest gender gap since 1980. Clinton won the women by 12%, and Trump won the men by 12%. Think about what I'm saying about the divide, not just that we see regionally, not just what we see between urban and suburb and urban. We have a huge divide in this country between urban America on the one hand and suburban and urban America on the other that has to be addressed, that has to be healed in some way if we're going to, if this country is going to move forward. Well, let me just put it in these terms because as we hear the analysis from, from last night, rural America, you mentioned some of the, the counties here in Pennsylvania. Did rural America rise up yesterday? Yeah, there is no doubt about it. Rural America rose up and said, and somebody used this expression, and I think it says a lot. Many voters in our country right now ask, they feel that, that in America, in our country, that they're strangers. I want you to just process that. It took me a while how to process that. You're an American and you feel that you're a stranger in your own country. That's how 
accelerated the change has been and that folks have been left behind, sometimes culturally, educationally, and certainly financially, which is a huge problem that I talked about when we opened, uh, opened this discussion. I'm jumping around on you, and Go I'm going ahead, to get fine. to uh, some of the questions from the audience here, but getting back to polls for just a moment. Do pollsters have to change yes. what they do? Because there basically were two polls across the country that got it right, had uh, Trump winning. That's right, yeah. And uh, certainly this pollster, we recognized it at, at Franklin and Marshall. Forty percent of the interviews we did this year were, were interviews done online. We just simply can't do calls the way we have been doing with the rise in cell phone use and the refusals by... How many people have a landline, and if you don't recognize the number, you don't go near the phone? Yeah. You, don't, you, don't begin, yeah, you don't begin the audience, and virtually everybody is smiling and agreeing. You just don't do that. And we were off because we're experimenting for what we need to do five years if we're going to try to you know, gauge what people think about things. And all through my 25 years of doing this, I've been much more concerned about with what people think about What's going on in their families? What's going on in their lives? What do they want government to do? What don't they want government to do? I'm working, in some ways, that's more important. The other thing we have to consider is this was one of those elections well, that was weird. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, it was strange that just had elements to it that coalesced that we hadn't seen before. I, I'm, I, I'm amazed when you think about how unique this is in American history. A guy who never, didn't, never held a public office before, right, who was a reality TV star, who said some of the most outrageous things that any presidential candidate, who ever heard of a candidate who said that their opponent should be in jail? Lock her up. I mean, I'm not, what I'm trying to say is how you can imagine the frustration that must exist among a large percentage of Americans who feel that they've lost their country and they're willing to vote for a guy who has qualities that 99% of the time would never have him get elected in our country when you, when you put it in those terms. I don't know, I've been a, I taught the American presidency for 30 years. I've never seen another candidate in an election. I mean, we had Andrew Jackson, you know, a military guy, but he had at least been in the Senate for a while earlier in his career. But there's nobody quite like him in American history. We'll talk more about some of the issues that our audience has and questions they have here in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. You're listening to the top stories of 2016 on Smart Talk. Today's program is pre-recorded, so please don't call or email. Welcome back to Smart Talk. It's a very special Smart Talk. There are those who are referring to today's special program, day after election, as politics and pastry, or pastries and politics. Did you get a pastry, Terry? <laughs> no, but that's I, okay. I know their audience uh, was taking advantage of that. But uh, our guest is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, professor of public affairs, and director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. Uh, WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing, LLP. If you have a question or comment, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. We are getting some questions here uh, from our audience, Terry. And before we get into some of how President Trump will govern, uh, how significant was the FBI director's announcement that the FBI would be opening up the email investigation yeah. to the outcome of the election? Yeah, I think it was, a, you know, an, an influence. There's no doubt about it. You know, we had this long conversation going on about whether voters had made up their mind or not, you know, the, the voters who hadn't decided. And I, made a, the, I was making the point that we had a larger pool of people who were, A, undecided, B, had a candidate, but who could change their mind. You got it? Who could change their mind. They supported someone, but they weren't sure. And the third element was the third-party candidates. And if you look at the final numbers for the third-party candidates, boy, they really dropped off. People were just not willing, I guess, to vote. You know, I'm going to vote at a, at a protest. They thought, uh-oh, I better cast a vote for one of the two candidates. Maybe that I like... Uh, that I dislike the least, which is another factor in this as well. And so 
14% of the voters made up their mind in the last week or so of the campaign, and that occurs after that incident you, you talked about with the FBI director. I think it was a factor. I don't think it explains why the, the white, blue-collar workers doubled their vote. You got it? Why, in this state, for example, they voted twice as many of them for Trump as it did for Romney. So my, my sense is that it contributed, but it still goes back to this angst and anger, this anti-establishment feeling, and the motivation by their voters. When Trump's people were saying, look at all these people at the rallies. And how about people who wouldn't talk to us? You follow me? We were hearing this all the time. I think there was something to that, more than I think most of us, because we hadn't seen it in that way before, Scott. I think most, most of us who do what I do just simply didn't expect that it would be that great. Okay, well, let's talk about the rallies because and I got a question from a listener actually earlier in the week when we uh, talked about doing this show. Marvin asked, uh, the candidates have been making a lot of campaign stops, giving stump speeches to the loyal attendees who support them. I would assume that anyone who attends these events have already been persuaded to support that particular candidate. So what is the value of a campaign rally? Do they make a difference? After all, they are speaking to the choir, so to speak. Now, I will add to that that uh, Donald Trump, throughout the campaign, right. based a lot of his popular yeah. what he perceived as his popularity on the number of people yeah. who attended those rallies. And you know, the question that Marvin asked is a good one: Can we learn anything from that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think what we learn is the size of the rallies and the enthusiasm. Imagine people standing in a line for 12 hours to hear someone give a speech that they've heard 50 times before. <laughs> it's not like, you know, we weren't, we didn't know that what, you know, uh, the content, well, in that sense, it, that was, I think, an important element. I don't think it explains all of the so-called shy vote. That, I love that word for the hidden vote, shy, the shy vote, you know, people who wouldn't talk to pollsters. And in fact, one of the things we're finding is that some of the Democrats who wouldn't talk to us we're really going to vote for Trump and didn't want to say, you got it? So that works. That, real, that really does work both ways. Well, if you go by the rallies, and again, this is something that Trump said that I think uh, many of us in the establishment uh, right. kind of poo-pooed, was that there was an enthusiasm yeah. gap between yeah. Trump voters and Clinton voters. And there was. And, I mean, now granted, uh, the other night in Philadelphia when... Uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton and the president and Mrs. Obama were there, Bruce Springsteen, Bon, bon Jovi, yeah. well, why huge did they crowd, come out? Independence <laughs> Hall, all that. That was an enthusiastic crowd, but that was kind of unusual for a whole yeah. campaign. Well, you had the president of the United States and you had what celebrities there that, that were performing? <laughs> you right. get the point. So I think that was a mixture of those. That was aimed at, at obviously millennials and, again, the African-American vote in the city of Philadelphia, which didn't materialize Clinton's vote out of Philadelphia, did not equal Barack Obama's four years ago. <clears throat> and again, we're back to that root cause of the problem. And in a poll that we did, we did see more Trump enthusiasm among his voters than among, among her voters. And I think that turned out to be ex exactly right. Mm -hmm. All right, here's, um, here's a question from our audience. Please talk about the impact on the Supreme Court with the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, already one vacancy and quite probably right. will be more in the next four years. Yeah. Is Roe versus Wade and other decisions up for being overturned? Well, I don't know about Roe v. Wade, but Trump has produced a list of 20 uh, potential nominees to the court, and he has circulated that, and conservatives seem quite content and quite happy with it. Make no mistake about it, if he does what he said he will do and pick from that list, the court will become more conservative. And although we do know we've had a number of Supreme Court justices, I won't get into who they were, throughout American history, we thought we'd go one way and didn't go that way. Because once you have that tenure for life, who knows what will happen. But my sense is that the 4-4 uh, division will be broken and it will be a more conservative court at the end of the Trump candidacy if he does what he says. And therefore, lots of things that are likely to come up are going to be decided 
that in a way that the conservatives will be happy about. I don't know that they'll revisit Roe v. Wade. The American electorate. Well, why wouldn't they? Why well, wouldn't they? It, because it might, might, I mean, that's might. at the top of the conservative yeah, list. Yes, that's true. And remember that the American people, there has not been a substantial increase in support for abortion. Millennials are not cheering about abortion. Gay rights, yep. Uh, racial justice, yep, but not abortion. And the American people do not favor third-term abortion. I'm, I'm just saying what, what the American people t say. So you could see a modification of it. That wouldn't shock me. And the American public as a whole would not rise up in arms if at a certain point, if, you know, to save the life of the mother, that's one thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that would be a huge outcry. But overall, our society is changing, and that's not, the millennials, there's 70 million of them in 10, 15 years, you can like this or not, they're going to run the country. There's 70 million of them. All right, but let me push back for just a moment. You say overall the country is changing, but did yesterday's vote say, yeah. no, it's not? No, what it says is that there's a particular group of people who are disenchanted, and, and, and to be honest with you, they have concerns that have not been met by either the private sector or the public sector, and we have a responsibility to do that. But culturally, we're not overwhelmingly conservative anymore. Okay, you know, look what happened in the marijuana votes, you know, in states legalizing. Almost all of them passed, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I don't think culturally we're getting more, and the millennials are not, and as I said, they're the largest age cohort, 70 million of them, as they track through and take up responsibilities in business and government and politics, uh, we're, I don't think we'll see, a, we'll see a big retreat on most of those items. Let me go through a few of the f phone calls that we have received. People may feel that uh, Trump is not totally qualified, but they want change. Well, yeah. They want someone who is not owned by politics, judges, and big business. I think and hope that uh, he will try to put the people first and do what he said he would. Hopefully he will put a stop to giving our country away to Ill illegal immigrants. You know, uh, just to follow up on that a little bit, you know, Trump made news when he announced his candidacy by talking about illegal immigrants, Build Mexicans coming in, building the wall. That kind of went away as far yeah. as a focus in the last yeah. uh, few months. Yeah. Actually, the exit polls yesterday showed that of those who voted for Trump, the biggest reason they did, well, personalities aside, right. uh, was the economy. On the economy. Absolutely. That's the point I've, I've been making over and over about the white working class voters who are stuck where they are without the skills and job training to get other jobs. These are people whose families used to work in steel and iron and coke production and made, you know, what made the industrial era not just in our state, but in our country. And that was a much more fundamental issue. Look, Trump backed off a lot of what he said about immigration. Let's be honest about it. He backed off, well, we'll get to kicking 11 million people out down the road. We're going to go get the illegal, you know, the, the, uh, the felons, the, the uh, immigrants who are committing crimes. Those people we're going to kick out. I would be stunned if he tries to eliminate, you know, to force out 11 well, logistically, million people. It's, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Uh, Shannon in Chambersburg says, I'm part of the white working class, also LGBT. Trump voters, he knows, felt minorities were taking over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think they felt that there was a disproportionate amount of attention uh, to uh, the minority community and to immigrants and not enough to, uh, to this particular group of people that we've been talking about. And I think we saw that in the vote yesterday. It was very clear in, you know, when we look at that group and what they care about and why they're angry, and as you accurately point out about the establishment, about government, about the media, this was a huge reaction to that. And, uh, and it'll all, now we'll have to see how Trump handles that and what happens in Congress and whether they can reach some kind of accommodation on some parts of an agenda that will, that will begin to help those, those folks. The election, and this is another question from the audience, uh, the election was mostly devoid of facts, solutions, and <laughs> ideas. But it was filled with rhetoric, rumors, and yeah. downright lies. Is that the future of our elections? <laughs> you never know. How about if this starts a precedent for reality TV campaigns? I don't know that you can 
rule that out. Here's a point that I tried to make throughout the campaign. We've always had campaigns in American history that deal with two aspects, the past for a candidate, right? Remember, where was that guy named Barack Obama born? You know, yeah. uh, what did... And our new president uh, yeah, you has get ideas on that. Yeah. yeah, you got it. So, and, and it's also about the personalities. I don't remember a campaign in my lifetime which was more focused on the past than the personalities and less on the issues. I know a lot of the people here are shaking their heads. Trump got more serious about that in the last two weeks. He stayed on message. Remember, he had that 100-day agenda in the speech that he gave, the 10 points. He stuck to the issues. He didn't take the focus away from her. To go back to the a question you asked a, a, a moment ago, and I think that helped. But overall, this was much more about the, the personalities and the past for these candidates and much less about the future and what they would do. There was some of that. Oh, read it on my website. You know, you can find my health care plan. And then they'd go on to attack, you know, the, the other person. Well, you know, to be honest about it, though, uh, Hillary Clinton had more specifics oh, when yeah. she talked about, uh, you know, her plans. Sure. And again, I think that was one of the reasons that uh, Trump's candidacy wasn't taken seriously by the establishment is that he, he yeah. talked in broad brushes yeah. that, you know, he identified the problems and did in a way many of the voters would say, well, he right. says what I'm thinking or yeah. what other people are thinking, but didn't really offer solutions. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, he had some solutions, to be, to be honest, but he didn't emphasize them. He talked more about the problems than he would use a generalization. We're going to fix that. That's going to change. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be great. That's right. Yeah. But look at the last two weeks of the campaign. It was these candidates berating each other. I mean, nonstop berating each other. Uh, for Clinton, uh, Trump's not qualified. Trump doesn't have the temperament. Trump doesn't have the judgment. For, uh, for Trump, it was Hillary's a liar. Hillary should be prosecuted. Hillary uh, isn't honest. It, she isn't trustworthy. And by the way, on honesty and trustworthy and character and temperament, you see both sides of that. Uh, these are candidates who had percentages of people who talked about that, the folks out there, we, we had not seen before since polling began. See, uh, this goes back to the FBI bombshell. Right. If you look at the last two weeks that you're talking about, um, really the last time that Trump went off message was in Gettysburg. Yeah. Gettysburg, I just read something yesterday about... Uh, how his campaign, the, the people in the campaign were pleading with him to stay on message oh, yeah, absolutely. in Gettysburg. But at the end, he said he would sue all those women who had accused him right. of sexually assaulting them. Right. Uh, and the campaign was like, oh, you know, he, here he did it again. Right. He, you know, he's right. going to make it all about that. Then the FBI bombshell dropped. Right. It took the attention off of that. I agree. And, and, I agree. And it went yeah. to Hillary Clinton. And that, yeah. I, many people would say what it did was reminded them of what they didn't like about Hillary Clinton. Yeah. All right. I so know. here's the question. How much of this was an anti-Clinton vote? Oh, I think a lot of it. Remember, for the, we ask a question, pollsters ask a question, are you voting for Hillary Clinton because, you know, you support her, you agree with her? Or are you voting for her because you dislike Trump more? And reverse the question. We had percentages I've never seen before. 20, in some polls, 25, 35% of voters saying, uh-oh, I'm voting for Clinton, but I really dislike him more. It was a vote against somebody more than it was a vote for. Mm -hmm. And that was very prevalent to go to the very point you're making. And the other thing that I'm not that we're, I'm not convinced of this 14% that made up their mind. I think to some extent, the business with the FBI plays into that. The fact that Trump stayed on message and that gave people. It's also as you started out this discussion, this was a change election, a change election, and Clinton was the Obama third term. She was the continuity candidate. No matter how she tried to move away from that. She was the continuity. Imagine if you're President Obama and you have to meet with Donald Trump. 
I just cannot imagine that conversation. They are scheduled to meet tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> you know, another factor in this during the, the past week and a half is that the Affordable Care Act, the insurance exchanges, the premiums, right. the news about the, they, the insurance premiums and insurance companies dropping out, that came out as well and gave Trump an automatic way to say, you know, take a look at this. This is what we've been talking about. You're exactly we want to right. get rid of the Affordable <clears throat> Care Act. Here's exactly why. Right. And the fact that you're going to have these big individuals are going to have big premium increases in the individual plans. And the, some of the providers of insurance in our state, I'm not going to mention the names, are losing hundreds of millions of dollars. This is unsustainable. And I don't think, look, it's hard to find news that was particularly good for the Clinton campaign. I think that, that's your point. Throughout this whole discussion, there, there isn't any doubt about it. And then when you tie it to the strong support that Trump got that we've been chatting about here, it was a perfect storm, uh, not for, you know, for Trump, for Clinton. And, and we saw that play out. I have seen a number of people commenting today on social media talking about uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, much has been made about the history of the first uh, woman nominee of uh, a major party, and many people assumed was going to be the first woman president. Was there still, and I hate to think that this exists in this country today, but are there people who voted against Hillary Clinton because she's a woman? Oh, I'm sure there were a few. I don't think that was the overriding factor in, in, the, in the vote. Do I think there were some? Of course. <laughs> Just as there were folks four years or eight years ago who didn't vote for Barack Obama because he was black. I don't think that was a fundamental. You know what actually surprised me was on a few speeches that the electing the first woman president came up, but it wasn't a major part of her campaign. It wasn't something in every speech she articulated or made it made a big deal of it. Again, they did it a bit, but I was sort of surprised by that. And look, I said this about Obama's election eight years ago. This is a, that, this, that was a great moment. I don't, you don't have to vote for Obama for it, for or against him because of it. But whenever we clear these hurdles and move forward, it's a good thing in American society. And that would have been a good thing not that you should vote for her because of that. That's not the point I'm making. And we'll get there someday. And then there isn't any doubt that women have a tough time in politics. I've written about this. I've talked to groups about it, encouraging women to run for office. It's not easy. There are complicated reasons that we don't have time to get into. But I am surprised that she didn't play it up, that it wasn't used a lot more, Scott. All right. The follow-up question to that, though is uh, maybe there weren't a lot of people across the country who voted against Hillary Clinton because she's a woman, but still a majority of people were willing to vote for Donald Trump, even though yeah. he, the way he talked about women I know. in a normal year, any other normal year, he, the man would have been disqualified a long time ago. People yeah. were willing to overlook that. There are two things about it. Number one, a lot of women, and this is more anecdotal than it is scientific, said, oh, I know lots of people who talk like that. In other words, even, you know, men who talk like that in their daily lives. I'm not justifying it, believe me. It's wrong, but, but that happens. The other thing, and this is, this is true, I think a lot of people who supported Trump didn't care what he said because they didn't care what he said about John McCain not being a war hero. They didn't care what he said about Carly Fiorina's face. They didn't care of that celebrated, uh, how, which, how shall I put it, debate he had with Megyn Kelly on Fox that got a lot of attention, right? Yeah. They didn't care. You know why? Because they only know he was against the establishment. And some of the people that he was in this debate with, in these arguments with, were what? Part of the the so-called dreaded establishment. They didn't care. About 25% of his supporters came by this time four years ago. I'm sorry, four years ago, this time last year. And they didn't waver, no matter what he said and did. And all of us so-called experts were, oh, what did he say about John McCain? He's picked on veterans. You're not a warrior of your... He's done. He wasn't done. The same with Fiorina's face. You know, you and I talked about that all, all through the past year because they only cared that he was sticking it to the establishment, that he was taking it to the dreaded media, to, con you know, to all the features of the modern establishment and running as 
the consummate outsider, even though you have to debate whether he's a real outsider or not. We can go through that argument as well. Jim from Halifax asks, uh, to what extent do the election results reflect larger global, larger global oh. change trends that are out of control of any country, including this one? Many people pointed to Brexit <clears throat> and what yeah, happened with the United yeah. Kingdom. What about well, that? Well, more importantly, we're now in a global community. We're all linked together in so many different ways. How do you retreat and become an isolationist country in that environment? Now, yes, are there some trade agreements that can be redone? You know what I mean? That can help protect workers more than the current trade agreements have done. Look, even Hillary Clinton, in the end, didn't support the Trans-Pacific Partnership. She originally supported and then said, well, I didn't see the final. Once I saw the final, you know, I, I was against it. So I think there's a growing consensus that we, A, we can't eliminate ourselves from the global community, and yes, we can figure out a way to do it so that other countries don't take advantage of us <clears throat> and that everything, that our workers, you know, don't suffer as a result of it. I don't know that that's an either-or proposition. We ought to be able to figure out a way to do both. And that, remember what Trump did to his group of biggest supporters. What did he talk about? Return manufacturing, right. get rid of the bad trade deals. He even talked about bringing back coal. You know, coal can be king again. Is it realistic? Well, I think it's realistic to redo some of the trade agreements, but some of the old industrial parts of our economy are not coming back in the same way they existed before. Mm. Uh, right. Terry Madonna, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks. Been a lot of fun. I kind of like just shotgun approach, uh, <laughs> sending questions to you. But, sort of uh, like the campaign. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think maybe a, a lot of us have to take a look at, uh, at this and how we handle the future. But uh, Dr. G. Chairman Donna Franklin Marshall College, thank you very much for being with us it's today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, speaking of the Affordable Care Act, uh, the uh, insurance exchanges opened on November 1st. Every year we have uh, a few people on the program to answer what changes there are. Now we may be talking about the major changes, but that's coming up on tomorrow's program. Talk to you then. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Women's Cancer Center, delivering preventive, diagnostic, surgical, medical, and chemotherapy services to women with gynecologic cancer or other conditions related to the reproductive systems. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org slash WCC.